Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul taking calls 0818103103. Anything you want to talk to us about, we'd love to hear from you. Texts and WhatsApps also up and running this morning 0862103103. And already some commentary uh, coming in on the Kerry Babies story. It's all over the papers again today, as it was all over the weekend. And I kind of went into a, a rabbit hole almost over the weekend, just trying to remind myself of this case and trying to bring myself back to the Ireland that was back in 1984, nearly 40 years ago. It's it's a very different world, uh, the Ireland then, to what we have today. And when we're looking, certainly when I was looking back on some of the things, particularly the, around the inquiry, what Joanne, O'Ha- Joanne Hayes had to put up with, it's just almost draw-dropping to think what that poor woman uh, went through. And of course, there's now a couple once again in the spotlights for this particular case. And the lawyer who's representing the couple that were arrested on suspicion of murder is now questioning the validity of the of the of the detention he's also expecting that uh, both of his clients will be fully exonerated he was speaking in the aftermath of the release of this couple now bearing in mind this couple have been released without charge the man is in his 60s the woman is in her 50s and it's a very high profile Kerry solicitor gentleman by the name of Padraig O'Connell who is representing them and he is now urging the director of public prosecutions to make a decision on this case as soon as possible. We do know that the Gardaí now have sent a file to the DPP following the arrests and following the questioning of this man and uh, a woman. Uh, they were both arrested on Thursday evening. Now the woman was released from Castle Island Garda Station on Friday evening. She was there for the 24 hours. She didn't take a break so she was released at about 20 past 7. The man did take a break so he was the early hours of Saturday morning 
morning he was released from Listowel Garda Station. As we discussed on Friday, they were both in separate Garda stations and they both had been arrested on the Thursday evening uh, in their home together. Garda now believe that they are the parents of the child and this is the little baby who will be forever known as uh, Baby John. And Baby John, of course, was found on White Strand Beach near Cahasivine. He had multiple stab wounds and his little neck had been broken. DNA has now been taken from the, the couple when they were arrested on Thursday evening and that DNA has been sent for analysis. But this, when if that DNA comes back and they are the parents, that will prove whether they are the parents uh, or not. Now, it seems their home has also been searched, but their solicitor at the weekend is at pains to point out that proving they are the parents is one thing, proving DNA, that is a match, so be it, but that doesn't prove anything. So, you know, he's saying you can prove somebody are the parents, but that doesn't mean you're proving that they are also the alleged murderer. And he very much is pushing that the case gets uh, expediated uh, because seemingly there's no time frame for when DNA results will be expected. And I'm assuming that the DPP is going to have to wait for the DNA results before the DPP can decide what way this case is going to go. But I think certainly from the couple's point of view, I would 100% agree with the solicitor that this has to be expediated. They have to speed it up. And I don't know how quickly you can speed up a DNA results and then get them to the, D- the DPP and then let the DPP as quickly as possible decide what is going to happen because you can't leave this couple now in limbo uh, as well. And of course, when I was looking back over the weekend, trying to remind myself, it's coming up to, it'll be 39 years Next month, it was April of 1984 when this little baby was found washed up on the uh, beach. There was then a what followed then was a flawed Garda investigation. And that uh, relied on false confessions, which were forced out of both Joanne Hayes and her family. And of course, they, Joanne Hayes, admitted that she was the mother of the child and admitted that she was involved with the murder. Her brother had admitted that he was involved in taking the baby across Kerry to dump the baby onto the strand. That all turned out to be uh, false. Uh, The way they were treated was just unbelievable, unbelievable at the time. And it's just, it's now when you look back and as you think, how was any of this allowed to happen? We do know, of course, what subsequently we found out was Joanne O'Hayes, bless her heart, had given birth to a stillborn baby. It was around the same time that baby John was uh, born. Now, there was an inquiry then called. Now, the inquiry was called to try to find out how Joanne Hayes and her family confessed to the killing of the a baby she could never have given birth to. And of course, we now know that turned into a spotlight on her personal life. She was publicly cross-examined. The cross-examination I thought it had got on for three days. It was only when I was looking at the weekend. It actually they had, they had her cross-examined for five full days. There was times when the girl was absolutely in floods of tears. She was forced to re- reveal details about her sex life whether she was using contraception or not. At one stage she became physically unwell and she was asked could she take a break and she went out into the bathroom and physically it threw up there was, and I don't know if that was the same day that the judge decided to call a doctor and felt that she needed to be sedated. They did sedate her, but they put her back in to the witness box to give evidence. I mean, absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. The tribunal in total lasted 82 days 
and the end of that tri- tribunal of course found that Joanne Hayes could not have murdered and could not have been the mother of ba- baby John and couldn't have been in any way involved with the murder of uh, the little baby. Now she did get a state apology but bearing in mind that it all happened in 1984, the inquiry happened in 1984 but Joanne Hayes and her family had to wait until 2020, 36 years after the little baby was born to get her full state apology. And then, of course, 2018 was when the cold case review was launched. They they had to exhume little baby John's body in 2020 so that they could get, you know, fresh and better DNA uh, samples. And that then brought local and national attention once again to the case when the body was exhumed. And of course, it's believed now that improved scientific procedures, that's all helping to advance the investigation. The passage of time has led to assumptions that Gardaí did not have enough new evidence to advance the case. But then the announcements of the arrests last Thursday that took local people by surprise and suddenly the spotlight turned on this couple. And it's understood that this Kerry couple have never had any dealings with the Gardaí, never had any dealings with the solicitor until their arrest on uh, Thursday. Their solicitor said they haven't even had a parking or a speeding uh, ticket. Uh, I'm reading in today's Irish Independent with uh, Sinead Kelleher who joined us last uh, week. They still haven't returned to their home even though they were released on Friday night and on the early hours of uh, Sunday morning. One local councillor is quoted in the paper, Maura Moriarty, has asked if it would not have been better if the Gardaí had called to the couple quietly first with whatever information they had rather than moving in so quickly to arrest them. People know who the arrested couple are. A lot of families, she said, have been impacted by the arrest. She said we need to learn from the past and ensure that mistakes that were made back then are not repeated in the current investigation. She also said there's a lot of empathy for the couple in the uh, area. Councillor Moriarty said the DNA evidence will only take the investigation so far and nobody should make any assumptions or suspicions even if it did identify who baby John's family uh, was and she you know says obviously nobody can prejudge uh, the case but we've already had Nora um, from a crew this morning wondering and questioning she was reading all about it in the papers again at the weekend and says should this should the Kerry baby's case be reopened should they have ever have gone to this cold case in 2018 bearing in mind the passage of time and how now it's nearly 40 years later since this little baby's body uh, was found. Nora is asking what will it achieve? She's feeling particularly sorry for Joanne Hayes and Joanne Hayes's family. She had her picture and her name all over the papers uh, again and I think everyone will have nothing uh, but kindness and will feel very sorry for Joanne. It's the last thing I think you know she wants it all to be dragged up again. So Nora is asking should the Gardaí just leave the case uh, alone? And there Certainly from what I'm hearing out of Kerry over the weekend and that area of Karasavim, there does seem to be that feeling that let sleeping dogs lie almost should this case all be back in the papers again nearly 40 years on. But I suppose the one thing that you can never get away from is that this little baby was savagely murdered by somebody. It was, you know, a defenceless 
five day old baby that had multiple stab uh, wounds. Its little neck was broken and looking at the stab wounds, you know, it was almost like it was a frenzied attack on this defenceless little baby. And then the remains dumped in a fertiliser bag into the sea. People will say, even if it is the passage of time, if it, if it is nearly 40 years, does that baby not have the right to some uh, justice? And one wonders as well, uh, for, for justice, if for nothing, for Joanne, uh, while Joanne Hayes might not want her name all over the papers, I'm, I'm sure she, she doesn't, but for her and her family and everything they've gone through, well, they want to see justice done as well. But there does certainly seem to be a divide on this one. But certainly locally, people in Kerry, in, in, and I imagine certainly around the Carisivine area, there is this sense that really that the Gardaí shouldn't be reinvestigating this case. So your thoughts are welcomed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Court today on C103. Last week, the first national campaign on sexual consent was launched. It's part of a new initiative by the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre following research involving the culture around consent in this country. To discuss the We Consent campaign, I'm joined by Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Is this conversation around consent, is it long overdue in this country? So people have been having bits of conversations here and there, but we would certainly say that it is long overdue to have a sort of a sustained focus on this topic until we can all get talking about it. Because what we all know, actually, even from our own interactions, but what the research also shows is that a lot of people and a lot of Irish people in particular are embarrassed to talk about sex in any shape or form. And even if they want to, a lot of people are awkward about it, you know, clumsy. They don't have the language they need either for themselves or for their partners or in more general conversation. So, yeah, what would be fantastic would be if we could bring this conversation along to a point that you and I would nearly not be having a conversation (laughs) about it at all because it wouldn't be news that people spoke about consent and sexual activity and sexual behaviour. And when I was when I was reading about the the launch of your your campaign, I mean, I was instantly thinking about, you know, we need to protect the younger generation uh, coming up. uh, So we need to start these conversations in 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 the home, in the classroom and, and start having these conversations with children and younger people at an earlier age. Yeah, that's that's right. But actually, that is where if there's any conversation happening, it is happening for younger people in some ways, particularly in our third level education institutions now, an awful lot of good work being done there in building an understanding of consent. And of course, one of the leading lights in this area is uh, Professor Louise Crowley of UCC, who has done amazing work in introducing the concept of don't be somebody who stands by and sees things happening that aren't the right conversations. And into that, she's built an awful lot of understanding around consent. But do you know what? It actually is the case that we need this not just for young people. We need it for all of us. Whatever about uh, younger people, people who are not younger people anymore, including myself, 
certainly grew up in an Ireland where these things were not talked about, where in fact the whole concept of consent in relationships wasn't even discussed because it wasn't relevant, because everyone knew their place. Women knew uh, what was expected of them, and men knew what was expected of them, and we lived with those concepts which were outdated, which didn't suit a lot of us, and which actually caused a lot of harm. So our nationwide campaign, we're starting it in Dublin, but we know that this will go countrywide. We hope it will go viral countrywide and that people will be um, using our resources to have their own conversations without ever coming near us. Uh, But we need it for everybody. It's Mm. interesting, Patricia, I was out at the weekend. We were promoting the campaign in Dublin by handing out badges and uh, people... People thought they had to pay for them, but we said the badges were free. But what was interesting was some of the responses that were coming back. I don't need that. I'm married. I don't need that. I'm too old for it. And where we're saying, actually, if you're married, you really do need to have a good understanding of this for yourself and for your partner. If you're in a relationship, you need a good understanding. If you're an auntie or a granny, or a granddad to to a youngster. You need it so that you can be clear that they, as well as yourself, should be behaving in consensual ways. Because the opposite of consent, of course, is where things go wrong. And that happens, people, at all ages. So we're saying this is something that can improve life for everybody. It's not only about youngsters, but of course it is about young people as well. And and isn't it fair to say that consent should never be assumed? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, you can can build up good patterns of behaviour where you don't have to conduct um, a, a forensic examination in relation to every single touch, but consent should never be assumed. We don't do it in other areas of our life, Patricia. We don't. One of the really striking examples that came up um, at the launch of the campaign was from Dr. Caroline Kelleher, who's in the Royal College of Surgeons. And she was saying, you don't skip a queue. Well, you do if you don't know what the queue is about, but you always know a stranger because they skip a queue, because they know that the the arrangement in our society is you stand in a queue to collect your coffee or whatever it Mm. is uh, for a bus. So uh, in so many ways, we know that consent isn't assumed just because somebody has always behaved in a certain way. We don't actually take offence if they behave in a little bit different. And I thought during COVID, for instance, where we all started to understand you don't shake hands with somebody or hug them if if they're not comfortable with it. That might be new. It doesn't mean they're rejecting you. It just means that they want you know, they they want to have their boundaries in a certain way. So what we're saying is we don't talk about it that way in sexual behaviour and sexual activity, even in sexual um, discussions in the workplace, you know, where people are having jokes or fun or whatever. We don't have that uh, recognition that these things should always be by agreement. And, and, and if we can build up that, if we can get people to say, I want the agreement, it and it will be for me to decide with whoever I'm engaged in the behaviour with, we will consent 
to a way of behaviour. It's not a rule. It's not something I can tell you what to do or you can tell me what to do. It'll be different, but it's about agreement. Yeah. And we can and, and of course, and, and of course, consent can be withdrawn as well as given. Sure. Uh, and that's absolutely it. It can be withdrawn at any stage. And again, that's not a rejection of a person. That's somebody saying, that's what I was comfortable with. That's what I am comfortable with. And this is not something that I'm comfortable with or that, that I want. So, so it is that you don't assume that somebody will welcome um, a touch or an engagement. You, you, recogn- you, you can have that touch and when, when it is agreed. And then when, when agreement is no longer there, that nobody, nobody even wants to go ahead in those cases. But very often we don't have the language around it. We don't have the understanding that it's not a rejection of somebody else. And this is certainly true in any relationship any of us have ever had. You know, where you behave in a certain way and somebody says, I, that's enough for me. Thank you very much indeed. You know, you could kind of get the hump a little bit. I know, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So it's just to recognise that's not what this is about, but just that, that in every single encounter, in every engagement, it, there, we, we want agreement. We respect the people we're engaged with to the point where we want that agreement. And when we want that agreement, we're seeing the other person as our equal. We're not assuming anything about them. And that will actually give us happier and healthier yeah, and, and equal. And when I was yeah. looking at, at your research, did it worry you to see that one in five people agreed that sometimes people say no to sex when they want convincing? Yes, that's that. But again, look, how many books and uh, songs have that theme the whole time? Um, it's kind of like the Mrs. Doyle, go on, go on, go on. Yeah. Um, you, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that that particularly women have been taught that it was almost rude uh, to say, yes, I do want to engage in this, that it wasn't ladylike. So inevitably, uh, men uh, and boys uh, learned that they should convince somebody. So convincing somebody is one thing, pressurising them is something else. But those are conversations that are not much had. And there are truly people who believe that uh, they don't even believe the basics that mm. no means no. Yeah. So like we're, but that's a very low base. I, I hate it as a phrase because it assumes that if someone doesn't give a straightforward no, that they are agreeing. We don't expect that in other areas of life. So why, why should is, we expect it around yeah, sex? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Somebody says, could you ask Nolan where does she stand, where does she stand on getting consent to hug a child? Yeah, so again, and actually children are, get, are much, parents are getting much better around this. Uh, it, it, that, that's where you start with children. You start, uh, you can start with children. People say, do we teach young children about sex? No, but you teach them about boundaries. You teach them what is proper for them to do in terms of not uh, biting some another child, for instance, or hitting them because that's interfering with their boundaries. But but forcing a child to accept a hug as well is just one of those things now that parents are much more conscious of not requiring a child to accept even a loving touch. Because if the child doesn't agree, it's not going to it's not going to improve their understanding that touch is by agreement, that hugs 
or by agreement and building that in a young child. When you even think of the youthfulness of something like that in making sure that a child isn't harmed, if a child knows that that touching is something by agreement and that you should never have to hide a, a bad touch. Mm. Those are the kind of things that could actually reduce the continuing abuse and protect children. children. Yeah, 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 yeah. A valid point. Listen, Noni, before I let you go, I, I spent the, the weekend in a kind of a deep dive reminding myself of the Kerry Babies uh, case. Yes. And I ended up speaking with one of my young nieces, who's only in her early 20s, who knew, knew nothing about the Kerry Babies case and asked me to tell her about it. And I, and I found as I was discussing it that I could see her jaw dropping as I was explaining what, what had happened. And she could not understand that, you know, in my adult lifetime, we could have lived through what yes. was happening in, in this country and what that inquiry and what Joanne Hayes uh, went through. It, yes. It, it's incredible to look back. And it was only 1984. That's right. And even when I look back on it, I go, why didn't I, why didn't I do more to stop the persecution of Joanne Hayes along the way. And I was comforted by Nell McCafferty, who uh, wrote at the time about, you know, just such an outspoken journalist. And she said even she couldn't work out how to um, how to attack that big wall of, of prejudice that was there at that particular time. It was an extraordinary period. I hope Joanne Hayes is happy in herself, is comfortable. This can't be a good time for her again. And my, my heart goes out to her and her family along the way. It was it was an it was an Ireland actually at the time as well, it was around the time that Gardaí were, you know, there was the so called heavy gang and there was an awful lot of the Gardaí behaving with impunity. There is a lot more um understanding now, but every single day it's no harm to be reminded that we can let abuse happen to people. We can label people as people who don't matter enough for us, whom we don't respect enough. Um, But we've made some progress. And every time I think we've an awful long way to go, I think back to that, Patricia, and go, how how did it happen? And, And say, we've made some progress now, but the price of freedom, as they say, is eternal vigilance. And we have to keep keep looking out and keep ensuring that we don't other people, that we don't make them different and that we say that it's okay if people go after them in in an abusive way like happened then. Okay, and just very finally, the argument and the the discussion we've been having on the programme this morning from some listeners is this view that's coming out from some parts of uh, Kerry that why are the Gardaí, you know, opening up this case again, let sleeping dogs lie, it's nearly 40 years on. What's your view on that? Yeah, well, I heard I heard uh, their solicitor talking earlier this morning as well, and he's saying there uh, he is saying that uh, while that that there is no evidence of criminality that have been or that you know, that obviously they've been they've been charged, they've been arrested on suspicion of murder. So uh, that's that's very serious. Uh, he says they are absolutely denying any of that all along the way. That they're entirely innocent of that. There is something about um, balancing things here. There is still um, a baby whose life was cut short in in an awful way, baby John. And, and there is the duty of the state 
to to ensure that that can't happen without question in some ways. There is also the need to have, I think it was, I saw Roisin Ingle call it radical compassion in this case. It is hard to know. You can't let these things just lie there because it doesn't suit somebody or it's not comfortable. But there is something about being conscious of the context in which that happened as well. That, that 40 years ago, someone in their 50s now was a teenager. A teenager. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. So it's a different so look, Ireland. I, it's a, it was it, a very it, different Ireland. It, 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 so, so long as now the context is kept firmly in mind as the inquiry goes through, because neither can we just say we'll bury that. It, let's not bury it, but let's finish it with real respect for the rights of everybody involved in it and a recognition of the times we lived in. Well said, well said. OK, we'll leave you there, Nolene. A pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Nolene Blackwell, who is the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis uh, Centre. Uh, there we can, we, hashtag we consent, you can uh, check it out on the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. It's, it's a terrific campaign. And I can see a lot of commentary and texts coming in. I will get back to them, but I just want to move to a different issue because the state issued over 300,000 personal public service PPS numbers to individuals last year and it was a significant increase on previous years. Now obviously nearly 70,000 were issued to Ukrainians fleeing the war which means many other were, were for people coming from other countries to live and work here. Fine Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy Colin Burke requested a breakdown of the nationalities for these PPS uh, numbers issued and it makes for interesting reading and he joins me. Um, good morning to you Colin. Good morning Patricia. Now first were you surprised at the increase in the number of people who decided to come to Ireland to, yeah, to live I and work? I suppose I was surprised with the numbers. Um, I hadn't um, realised that it would be as high as that. Now, I suppose if you look back to 2019, 196,000 were issued in 2019. Then it dropped off in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. Um, but in 2022, um, it went up to over 305, nearly 306,000 PPS numbers issued. Now, of those, 56,954 would have been issued for children whose births were registered here in Ireland. In fact, the total number of Irish people registered with PPS numbers, including for children born, was actually 69,000. But the... Um, numbers registered for Ukraine was very, very close to that. It was over 68,000. And then the breakdown is interesting after that. If you look at, for instance, Spain, there was over 9,000 people from Spain uh, received um, PPS numbers here. Um, and I presume part of that is because of the various um, shortages of staff here in Ireland, and especially in the uh, restaurant and hotel trade. And we, we're at the moment at 4.4% unemployment, whereas in Spain it's 13%. So it is attractive for people to come in from places like that to, to get employment here in Ireland. And the other one that stood out for me, and, and you would question, where would our health service be without overseas workers? I mean, India, for example, 21,471. I assume a lot of them are working in our hospitals. Yeah, but a lot of that uh, from India as well would be IT. 
Um, oh, of course. So, so they, they would be big. But I was really surprised by that number of over 21,000. And I suppose it, it just raises the issue that, you know, Ireland is an attractive place for people to come and work and live in. The challenge then that it brings is with it is the demand for uh, accommodation, which is the huge challenge that we now have. Like the remember, the Irish economy has grown. Like you go back to 2011, we had 15% unemployment. And I remember when we announced that we would try and create 100,000 jobs, people, you know, scoffed at it that we couldn't. It couldn't be achieved. We've actually increased the number of people working here. It has gone up by 720,000. In fact, the the population, the the numbers of working now has increased by over one third compared to 2011. So we now have over. 2.5 million people working and I think that's important as well from the point of view of people working if you go back to 2011 we had three people working for every person who was retired you take for instance they have a huge problem in Japan where they have only one person working for every person retired um, and remember in the look next, what's happening in France yeah and if you look at you look at um, in Ireland in the next eight years, we, we currently have about 760,000 people over 65. Within the next eight years, that will reach to over a million people. And we need to have the income to support that as well. Therefore, the one thing that we have to do is continue to create jobs. But we then have to respond to the demand for services, whether it's in the healthcare area or whether it's in uh, housing accommodation. And that's the big challenge. I suppose the other challenge on employment is the number of people in people in the construction industry, and we had Enterprise Ireland in with us in the Public Accounts Committee on Thursday, and I raised the point about in Ireland we have a far higher labour content in respect of for every square foot of residential accommodation we build, we have a far higher labour content compared to other European countries, and we need to modernise the construction industry sector to make sure that we are we actually can. Uh, be more efficient in the way we build and that we can turn over and build faster than what we're doing at the present time. But there is a huge challenge. As everyone knows, if you ask anyone to even do any kind of renovation work in yeah, a house at the small, moment, a small jobs or, you know, yeah. that most of the builders will tell you, come back to me in 12 months' time and I'll, I'll not be able to fit you in. Yeah. And that's the challenge that we now have. How do we attract people into the construction industry? Do we need to fast track how we bring more and more people into the trades? Because I think it's extremely attractive at the moment for people to go into whether it's the electricians, plumbers, block layers. And, you know, I have a very strong view that we should be giving more support to apprentices. And I've raised this with the minister. You know, there is a big difference between what an apprentice is getting starting off and what they can get in, in other employments. And we need to address that as well to make it more attractive for people to get into and uh, take on the apprenticeship. And then they have a skill for life once they have full training done. Yeah, but looking at these figures of the amount of people who, who came here uh, last year, will we continue to need overseas workers to fill a number of our, our positions? Well, our biggest problem is in, is in a number of areas, both in the hospitality sector and in the um, medical area. We have a big challenge in the medical area, for instance, at the moment. If you look at all of the smaller hospitals around the country, the vast majority of the staff now are outside of nursing staff, but an awful lot of the junior doctors and even consultants now are were not born in Ireland. And remember, we've got to look at as well, I think we have well over 450,000 people now working in this country who were not born in Ireland. So they are major contributors to the tax take as well because they are working. Even if you look at the case of Ukraine, people from Ukraine, 
over 15,000 of people who have come in from Ukraine are now actually working here in this country. I remember a large number of the people who have come in from Ukraine are actually um, people going to school or college, but still over 15,000 of people who have come in from Ukraine. And and, and I've heard anecdotally <coughs> that some of the, particularly the mothers, would love to be out of work, but with childcare issues, if they've travelled with very young children, it can be hard for them to find somebody to mind the children while they go out to work. Yeah, and that's the big problem that, that um, we have here in Ireland now for young uh, families is trying to get um, care, uh, child care. And the other area that we're having a huge challenge now is in relation to home help. We have a huge challenge now in relation to the home help area. For instance, you take in the Cork Care region, we had over 1,800 people providing home care in the, who were employed by the HSE back in 2020-21. That dropped by 400 uh, in 2021-22. So it went down from 1,800 down to 1,400 and the HSE had a huge challenge in trying to replace that number that retired out of providing home care. And in fairness, home care is a really demanding um, area um, and it is, it, it is something that we need to do a lot more uh, to try and assist people to get into that area as well. OK, and uh, because, I mean, I'm assuming there's also the worry that businesses will be slow to expand uh, if they know their workers won't be able to afford accommodation. Yeah, and I think the point I made um, earlier in the week is that, <clears throat> if, for instance, you're taking Cork City at the moment, we're um, about 550 bed spaces were provided for student accommodation. There's about another 1,500 being built. We have the um, facility in the Carragrahan Strait that will hold 600 uh, the Crow's Nest, I think, is around 240, 250, where the old Square Deal facility was. There's another over 200 going in, again, in Northland Street. So I think there'll be over 1,500 bed spaces coming on stream for students in the city. But we also need to build accommodation in our hospitals. For instance, if you go back years ago, 25, 30 years ago, all of the hospitals had accommodation for nursing staff and junior doctors. That all left. Likewise, in relation to army barracks, we had accommodation for soldiers. That all was left go run down. We now need to reverse that. And we also need to use land in our third level institutions, which is available to build student accommodation. Likewise, in relation to the army barracks, we have, um, we have space to build. And I know we've already announced uh, monies for Collins' barracks in Cork, but we need to be far more proactive about building you know, purpose-built accommodation for our nursing, uh, for trainee nurses, for our, our junior doctors, and in particular, you know, you take, say, for instance, where the new children's hospital is being built in Dublin. We now need to work towards building accommodation for uh, nurses and doctors there. Likewise, in Cork, we need to do that. And I think we need to be far more proactive in planning uh, how we deal with this area. Well, lots issue. of people are saying, Colm, the plain and simple answer is we need to be building more houses. We do, but we also need to build, you know, say, for instance, you take in Cork, there's over 6,500 student purpose-built student accommodation. If you take an average of, you know, five students per house, that means you're removing a whole lot of houses away from student accommodation, which is really welcome. We need to be far more proactive about that, taking people out of housing so so that houses can be available for families, and I think that's extremely important, and that's what we should be doing.
Okay, we leave it there, Colm. Listen, thank you for that. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Deputy Colm uh, Burke. And as I say, it just really makes for interesting reading all of the countries in which people decided to move to uh, Ireland uh, to live and work. Somebody says, Colm, don't be telling us the problem. Tell us the solutions, uh, please. It is solutions that we need. And somebody says, so Colm is telling us that people who came here illegally and are tight to come here and work need houses. Could Colm just come on and say we need to simply be building more houses. I don't get why the PPS registration is of any significance. Well, it's not of any significance, except it just makes for interesting reading the amount of different countries. I think nearly every country in the world is 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 on the list. Um, well, close to nearly every country in the world is on the list who decides to come to this country to live and to work. Huge, huge uh, reaction, both on the phones and online to me mentioning the Kerry Babies uh, story and in particular this uh, one of our listeners and it's it seems to be reflected as well in parts of Kerry that maybe this case shouldn't be this cold case review which was launched in uh, 2018 that led to the little baby John's body being exhumed so that they could get a new DNA uh, sample which has subsequently led uh, to the arrest uh, last Thursday of this um, man and woman in Kerry. Uh, There is this view that are we just digging up something that happened nearly 40 years ago and kind of the saying should we let sleeping dogs lie? A lot of people have to say uh, certainly not in agreement uh, with that. Let me just give you a sample of some of the calls and texts coming in. Uh, Somebody says, Patricia, regardless of whether or not the parents, if it does turn out that these are the parents, murdered baby John or not, they failed to report a murder or the baby was kidnapped or murdered by another person. They failed to report a missing person and when the baby was dead, they failed then to properly dispose of the body. So even if uh, what they could turn out to be the parents, it doesn't prove murder, which is the one thing that their sister is saying as well. But they still, the sister feel has there's questions that need to be answered. She just said, Patricia, hi. I think the state and the church have a lot to answer for about the murder of little baby John. Remember the Anne Lovett uh, case? And that was after baby John, wasn't it? That was a teenage girl. Um, Anne Lovett, just for those who don't remember, Anne Lovett was a teenage girl who uh, carried on throughout her whole pregnancy and in inverted commas, nobody noticed that this teenage girl was pregnant. She went to school one day in her school uniform, didn't go to school though, went to the grotto in Granard gave birth to a little baby and unfortunately was found later on that day but the baby and Anne Lovett had passed away. It was just such a sad, sad case. But again, it was the Ireland of the 80s and the shame of a young teenage girl becoming pregnant. Uh, anyway, uh, Sheila's reminding us of that case just to try to put in context the era where all this happened. And also there was a young Bangarda in Templemore who had a child out of wedlock, as it was called. <laughs> to hear that phrase used, out of wed- wedlock, and the child was seen as, I'm not even going to use that B word, which was the legal term at the time for a child that wasn't born to a couple who was married, but that's subsequently been taken off the statute books thank God. So yes, Sheila, I accept the point you're making. It was a very, very different era. Colm, thank you for your text. Colm and Butterfant. This case is not about Joanne Hayes and her family anymore. The case now is about a little baby that was murdered. If this couple turn out to be baby John's 
parents. Uh, why did they not come forward? Uh, partic- why did the parents not come forward back in the 80s, particularly when the spotlight was being put on Joanne Hayes? If the baby was given away and got rid of, uh, it should, of course, be investigated, says Column. You can't just sweep it under the carpet. Nile in Ballinlock says, I feel this topic should be discussed. While some people may feel it should be brushed under the carpet at the end of the day, a murder happened in this country. I'm surprised at hearing people say the case should simply be dropped. Mary says a number of us were appalled at the treatment of Joanne Hayes during that public inquiry that went on for some 82 uh, days. There was protests at the time outside the courthouse. So a group of us women in Duhallow decided we were going to go down to support Joanne Hayes. We decided to travel but the day before we were due to travel it was stated in the newspapers that anybody protesting outside uh, could be prosecuted. So we got nervous about it all and decided not to go. It's very hard for people to day to realise the grip that was over the country by both the church and, and state. Yeah, it was a very, very different uh, era indeed. Thank you for your call. Hi Patricia, of course somebody should be held responsible, particularly after what Joanne Hayes was put through. Uh, why should anybody get away with murder? Mary and Bally Hayes says regarding the Kerry Babies case, people must remember that someone or some bodies stood by while Joanne Hayes was being accused of murdering this baby and was being vilified in the press. They knew that she was innocent and they said nothing. Time does not make them less accountable. And that's a fair point from Mary in uh, Ballyhay. Thank you for that, Mary. This is Jimmy in Castle Magner. Says, if the couple are the parents of baby John, then I say shame on them, says Jimmy. There's no forgiving them for the torture they put Joanne Hayes and her family through. How could there be any kind of empathy for them and seemingly that's what's been said there is a there is a I know one local councillor in Kerry said that there is a lot of empathy for the couple in the area well Jimmy is disputing that and says typical Irish hypocrisy what about the horrendous manner in which this little baby was uh, murdered they had all of those years to come forward and they never did that's saying a lot about them they never took into consideration the Hayes family although of course this case should be revisited we have to have justice what about all the cold cases being investigated should we drop all of those just because of the passage of time I'm sorry if I have to mention the word again, word again but it is hypocrisy the foremost people we should be thinking about at this time are Joanne Hayes her family and of course let us never forget baby John we have to see justice for them and that's Jimmy in Castle Magner Michael said isn't it amazing how the plastic bag that little baby John was found in has gone missing very similar to the wine glasses in the Tuscan de Plantier case they went missing they both need an inquiry into them and how and where those two most important pieces of evidence disappeared to who had access to them under whose watch do they disappear it just beggars belief those who destroyed Joanne Hayes's life and her family were never held accountable why? thanking you says uh, Michael and here's a lengthy one in from Anne-Marie. Hi, Patricia. Great show. Thank you, um, Anne-Marie. I'm really shocked that anyone in Cahar Savin, or indeed anywhere else, would even consider wanting to close down the investigation into baby John's demise. And as a mother, I'm so glad to hear you speaking up for little baby John on the programme today. This tiny tot was brutally murdered. And surely, 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 Ireland in 2023 cannot suggest sweeping this alleged murder 
under the carpet. Is this the same Ireland that has vowed to face the realities of our past with things like the Magdalene laundries, the tune babies, etc.? What makes baby John's life less valuable, less meaningful? than any of the other terrible historical crimes. If baby John had been left in a safe place for somebody else to rescue and then was subsequently happily adopted, then I would be the first to ask everyone not to rush rush to judgment. This is not such a benign situation. This poor, darling, little five-day-old baby was viciously and unlawfully killed by stabbing and by twisting his little neck. What terrible suffering for a baby to endure when he should have been able to expect tender, loving care from anyone who held him. I'm heartbroken for the little boy who never had a chance. The least that we can now do for him is to investigate and is to deal with those who attacked him so horrifically. Of course, it must be said that the murder may not have been at the hands of his parents, but the fact that some person or people repeatedly stabbed a newborn baby and a just modern society cannot say move on nothing to see here on the contrary justice for little John is his right and that's from Anne-Marie well said I think a lot of people will agree with you Anne-Marie on that uh, thank you for your uh, WhatsApp this morning and Heidi listening to speaking about the little baby John I think it is important to seek and find who perpetrated this awful murder of an innocent little baby surely there was no need for that amount of stabbing I think it was the total was 26 stabbings on top of his little neck haven't, having been broken so sad for this little baby boy may his gentle soul rest in peace. Thank you for that. Okay, that's just a sample, as I say, of some of the many texts and calls that we're getting in about this case. 0818-103-103. But I 100% agree with the solicitor of the couple who were brought in for questioning last Thursday to please expedite this case. Get the, the, the DNA samples have, have gone now for analysis. Get them back as quickly as possible. So if it can... It, to 100% proof if they are the parents or not the parents and then let the, the DPP just don't let this drag on for months and months and uh, months. All we can do is hope that it does get speeded up. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and I was wondering would anybody contact us about Baz and the DIY SOS programme last night at half six. What an absolutely gorgeous programme from start to finish. Now, I did have the tissues and I did cry many, many times uh, through it, but just I felt so proud of Cork and the community on the north side of Cork City who just stood behind the Drummond family and young Adam uh, Drummond. It was just a remarkable programme. Angela was on to say, can I just congratulate the people who helped in the DIY SOS programme last night? What a true community spirit. Adam is such a positive an inspirational young man and his parents when they saw their bedroom redone to say we didn't need any of this they're just decent people I, I have to say when the mother said oh, we didn't ask for anything that I just I, I wanted to jump into the TV and give her the biggest hug and say you deserve this gorgeous bedroom and you deserve this uh, gorgeous uh, house and all we can do is wish for nothing uh, but for Love and luck to continue for for Adam Drummond and his uh, family from Redemption Road on the Corks and Northside. The one thing I did find that made me smile was 
Baz kept referring to the north side of Cork City as North Cork. <laughs> I think you would never refer to the north side of Cork City as North uh, Cork. That was the, the only one criticism. That's a very, very tiny criticism. But it was a wonderful programme and well done. And, and, you know, some of the volunteers who were involved and some of the tradespeople that were involved in the programme. Uh, hopefully some of them are listening. Well done. What you have done to change this family's life is incredible. And as Adam said, you couldn't put words on thanking people for what they did it, it was unreal and actually I saw Baz on the Late Late Show on Friday night and he was referencing Adam's show and so and that was before it went out but he also spoke about because of course at Christmas we saw Baz again and the wonderful volunteers who turned out in uh, Mitchellstown to do up the houses for the Ukrainians and just saddened me really to see the abuse that Baz received and some of the workers received as well you know with this thing about, you know, look after the Irish first and all of that. And, and to hear that some of the workers who were being abused in Mitchellstown for the work they were doing the week previously, they had been in Cork City working on uh, Adam's uh, house. Can we not just treasure and uh, everyone and look after everybody? 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A fully qualified and part qualified motor technician wanted for Eamon Tarrant's motors. That's in Bantir. CVs please to careers at etarrant.ie. Electricians are wanted for a site in Rathine in Limerick. Uh, jobs, CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And church hair, sorry, chair hair salon. They're under new management and they're recruiting for two hairstylists to join the team. They're based on George's Key and you can email a CV to owner at chair.ie And Eurospar at Barry Row Co-op they're recruiting part-time store assistants and have part-time hours available to suit your lifestyle. Contact Christina on 023 881 0053. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When our electricity supplies are disrupted, the ESB networks move very quickly to restore service to any given area. So should broadband providers act with the same urgency when there's a broadband outage? Cork East uh, Doll Deputy David Stanton feels they should. And uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the to the programme. I, I feel that one of the real problems with broadband outages is you're never sure if it's just your house or if there's a general outage. And I can't, I couldn't count the number of phone calls we get to the programme from people saying, my broadband isn't working. Can you find out if there's a general outage in our area? Yeah, I agree with you. You're right. Um, The the reason I I went with this was I had two calls from the same parishes that happened, the same area, and there were two different faults. And they they both involved lines down and poles that were probably rotten, that fell over in wind or something, resulting in a lot of houses being out of broadband. Now, they did actually uh, make contact, and one of them told me that it took over 10 days for the supply to be restored. Now, when a lot of people are relying on broadband uh, for all kinds of work reasons and medical reasons and God knows what else at this stage, I I felt that's too, too long. 
and I'm aware of the, um, as you said, the Electric Ireland when the um, or ESP rather when the um, power is out. Now there are safety issues there. Obviously, if there are lines down, it's very important that they get out there quickly because there's a huge safety issue. But apart from that, being without electricity is a major, major, major inconvenience. Um, and obviously, being without broadband, if you're depending on it for work, is also a huge inconvenience. So I, I, I maintain that yes, there should be a system in place whereby as soon as there's an outage. Um, you can, it, it, the, the, the powers that be would move to repair it as quickly as possible and within a day or maybe even half a day. I mean, I mean we know we know how uh, ESP is concerned that their crews are very professional and they can get power restored very, very quickly uh, unless it's a major, major fault. Um, within a matter of hours, with, with, with the broadband, I think that this particular case, 10 and a half days, was way too long and people were really um, discommoded because they were depending on it for working at home, for ordering stuff, for all kinds of communications and stuff. And, uh, you know, broadband now is becoming, you know, part of our lives and um, it's rolling out very, very quickly and it's hugely important for people and businesses and families. Yeah, and we know and we certainly saw it during uh, COVID uh, times when people were working from home. We've seen people now who've relocated into rural areas, particularly rural areas that has good uh, broadband. But this, you know, if there's a lot of outages, it can make people stop and think, why have we made this decision to relocate? Yeah, and again, I, I do take your point that sometimes maybe you, you have an outage for a short period. Um, now, I know that in my own case, in my own house, I, sometimes I have phoned up um, the company I'm with and I've said, look, there's a fault here and they'll be able to check it online and, and you know, restore it or, or whatever, tell me what's gone wrong. But if it's uh, in, in these particular cases that I, that I mentioned, it was an actual physical break of the lines where poles had fallen down and we needed a crew to come out to fix them. And it took ten and a half days to do it, and I think that was way too long altogether. Um, so it's 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 hugely important. You are right, and it's it's thankfully now with the various companies, the National Broadband Ireland and Air and Virgin and Syro and so on, are moving very quickly now to ensure we have broadband in every corner of the country, every home and business will will have it. Very high speed fiber optic broadband, which is fantastic. But I think we need to really ensure that when it when it goes down, that it's brought back as quickly as possible. Could you know the ESB networks have that power? check app which is fantastic and then if you've got a power outage that's the first thing I will do is check uh, to see are they aware of it because then at least you know you don't need to report it and they'll tell you how many homes are affected but they'll also give you an estimated time when your power will be back could all of the broadband companies not launch some kind of an interactive online facility? I think so. you're they're spot on. And the press release I sent out, I mentioned that, that the ESB networks have an interactive online fault reporting facility, where, as you say, a real-time fault information is available on an interactive map. And that's very, very useful indeed. And more, I, I, again, I've used that myself. I know the people that have used it. And they, they actually tell you when this, they, they, they estimate that service will be restored and how many customers are impacted and so on. So if we're talking about about broadband and the internet and, and online, I mean, the people that really should have this up and running are the people providing the broadband, the broadband service. And again, you can go online and you can see, or maybe even go further than that and maybe get a text telling you that your service is out and when, it's, when they expect it to be back. But even more important then would be the situation whereby... Um, and you can do that with ESP. You can request a text or an email getting an update on the status of the service, service interruption. But really what's important here is that the service is restored quickly mm. and that there's not a big delay going on for, you know, almost in this case, almost two weeks. It's not good enough. So this is something we really have to ensure. And I, I will be raising it all at some stage with the minister to ensure that this is done because it's becoming an essential service for all, all the reasons we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and people pay a lot of money to have good 
broadband. Oh, they do indeed. Yeah, uh, there are all kinds of packages available, and you can have your broadband, your telephone, your television, and all rolled into one. And and it could very well be that you, if you lose one, you lose all. Now, mm. obviously, people have mobile phones and things which are separate very often, but um, it's it's hugely important for, for nowadays that our broadband is becoming an essential part of our lives, and uh, it's so so useful and so helpful. So, so you know, it saves time in ordering stuff and buying stuff and doing all this stuff online from your own home anytime, day or night. You can do stuff now, and previously you might have to queue up somewhere. I mean, you know, people are doing all the online banking and all that stuff online. And and it's very secure and and so on. And um, people have got, got used to, I know, farmers depend an awful lot on it for their work as well, you know, and oh, and businesses too. So yeah, when it's and, out, and and, and students in schools, schools, schools are using broadband and children are expected to use broadband when they go home to do homework, for, uh, for example. It, it, yeah, indeed, it, 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 it covers so much. And apart from that, then there's also the whole entertainment side of it, whereby you can go out, you can, you know, if you want to, if people want to relax, if you're at home, if you're maybe not feeling well or, or unwell, you have, you have all that side of it as well. So it's really becoming a hugely important part of our lives um, right now in, this, in this, these modern, modern times, you know. And um, when it goes down, it, my, my main point is when it goes down, it should be restored quickly and people okay. should be... Have you, had, have you had any reaction from the service providers to your call? Oh yeah, we've been we've been in contact with them. I mean, when the people contacted us here in my office, we contacted the service providers straight away, and and the service was restored. Then you know within a couple of days. But again, even that was too long. Um, so it's something that I haven't had any any direct reaction from them. No, but um, it's something that I I've been calling for now that this would be uh, would be taken on board as a given. And that, like the um, um, ESP networks, that broadband will be treated with the same importance and urgency. And if there's a fault, it will be fixed as quickly as possible. There's so much depends on it. Okay, keep us keep us informed on that. And just just on, a, on another issue, I was I was reading in, in the papers today. I think it's to be launched by the Minister for Rural and Community uh, Development, Heather Humphreys. This uh, f- extra funding for the councils to renovate old buildings. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Buildings, buildings that are really, have been really eyesores in uh, community fa- and turn them into community facilities. Oh, this is a big thing. I mean, right across our towns and villages and cities, we have buildings sitting there for years. I, I've been pushing the issue of bringing these buildings back into use for residences. Uh, vacancy is the thing that really annoys me, <clears throat> and I think we should do all we can. And in fact, I've been doing a lot of work in the Dáil in the last while asking the ministers to make funding available to the local authorities to appoint vacant homes officers to actually go out there and to identify buildings that can be brought back into use and that people can live in. But Minister Humphrey's project is really good and she's done a huge amount of work in this whole area. Um, and this latest one is very, very important again, whereby all buildings, um, all gather stations, um, any old buildings at all can be brought back into use to, to be used by the community and to build up the community. And, you know, isn't it fantastic to see that happening and that 
proposal being made and funding being made available towards it. And the local authorities can identify these. Uh, and, and something that's been a nice offer for years and years can be brought back into use. Be fantastic. And, and I know that 13 million has been allocated to it. So how, how does this work? It's up to each local authority to identify a building, is it? Yeah, most government building, uh, most government funding comes through local authorities very okay. often in, in cooperation with uh, local communities. And uh, I know Cork County Council are particularly good at that um, in identifying projects um, when calls are made by government for funding. Uh, we had one recently now in Yall whereby funding was made available for the Yall, the lighthouse in Yall uh, to do some work around that to make, make it more accessible for people. So there's a lot of, of, of money like that being available. I mean, the economy is is, is has been going pretty well and the money is there and it's great to see it being used to bring places back and to make centres make places attractive for people to go or towns and cities where people can go on a fine day and sit down and have a coffee or you can have community activities occurring in buildings like that and I think that's hugely essential and I think every town and village should have a community centre of some sort and this is another step along that way. Okay, all right. Okay, and it gets launched today and as I say up to uh, individual councils uh, then to react. Okay, David, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Cork East uh, Doll Deputy uh, David Stanton. Now, last week we had a message in from one of our listeners, Anthony, who wanted us to publicly thank the Cork City Partnerships Friendly Call team. Anthony explained that they call him nearly every day and have done for the past year. They even sent him a birthday card and a Christmas card. And he was so appreciative of this wonderful organisation. So we decided that we thank them in person because it would give us an opportunity to remind people about the service. Jackie Fitzgibbon is coordinator with Friendly Call Cork, which is run by the Cork City Partnership. Good morning to you, Jackie. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, and thank you on behalf of Anthony, one of our listeners, because he was singing your praises last week. Oh, so, so, so well done. So I suppose start at the beginning and tell us a little bit how long the service is actually up and running. Yeah, so it's, it's going up here in Grongora since 2010, uh, Patricia. It was set up back then uh, and still going strong there 12 years later. Um, it's, I suppose, got much bigger there since COVID. It was a smaller operation before then. And, of course, COVID saw a huge increase there in the clients uh, that started accessing the service. So who is it primarily aimed at? Well, I suppose primarily it's aimed at anyone who feels uh, older people and people who are experiencing social inclusion for various reasons. They might be able to get out of the house through health reasons uh, or because they live in in an isolated spot or they don't have family around uh, by and large all day. Also, people with chronic illnesses would suffer the same kind of thing. So that's what we aim at really, you know. And how often would you call somebody? So most people will get a call five days a week, but that's not mandatory. If someone says to us they only want to call one day a week or two days a week, um, that's fine. But by and large, it's a five day a week, Monday to Friday operation. That's incredible. And what, and what, would you just have a, have a quick chat or what happens? Yeah, yeah. So basically it is, it's, it's either a quick chat or a long chat. I suppose it, it depends on, on when you get on to people on the day. Some of our clients just want someone to check in and make sure that they're okay, uh, and that's fine if that's all they want. And other people then are, you know, they're they're delighted when someone's on the on the line there and they want to have a longer chat. Um, so we kind of play it by ear. We're very kind of casual. We don't have rules about having a long chat or a short chat. It's whatever the client feels like on the day when we get on to them. 
And do I assume friendships almost develop over, oh, the, over the phone? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I suppose, I mean, you know, I'm not here that long, Patricia, but some of our volunteers are with us for five, six years. So they have long-standing relationships there uh, with some of their regular callers. But even uh, people who are getting calls not as long as that, you quickly build up a rapport with people, uh, obviously, particularly if they're lonely, because you might be the only one that they're chatting to every day, you know? Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about that. There, there are obviously people, Jackie, who you contact, who literally wouldn't hear another human voice except for the person at the end of the friendly call cork yes that 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 frequently happens uh patricia so then of course we like to be able to spend you know not be rushing anyone off the phone uh so you know we like to, be able to spend a bit of time then chatting with that person if that's what they need uh so yeah so some of the phone calls are long but other ones then are short so it kind of balances out uh then you know and is your service run predominantly by volunteers? Yeah, well, yeah. So I'm not a volunteer myself. So Fiona uh, O'Rourke, my colleague there, uh, we're permanent staff here in the office. Um, but we have a band of trusty volunteers, like I say, some of them going back uh, many years uh, with, with us, uh, who ring people every day. So, and are know, they, are a lot of those older people? Is it a peer-to-peer? The volunteers, do you mean? Yeah, is, yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah, I suppose uh, predominantly they would be older. And we have, a. I mean, it was set up originally around, it, we're still based up in Churchfield there in the parochial hall. So we do have a lot of local people ringing other local people. Um, that said, now our volunteers are all ages and we have men and women. Um, but I suppose you would get a, a, a good cohort of them uh, a little bit older, you know. What do you think? So we look for people who are, who are happy to chat, yeah, com- yeah. Com- you know, comfortable chatting with people. And the volunteers themselves, what what did they get out of it, do you think, Jackie? Well, I suppose some some of them lo- love the chatting themselves anyway, you know, and they're happy to do it. And other people like to give back, you know, especially when they have a bit more time maybe in their lives, uh, are looking to give back to their local community there uh, and appreciate, you know, what it's like, especially for older people uh, experiencing loneliness, their own parents, you know, they might have had something like that with their own parents. I think it's something that can happen to a lot of people as they get older. Their, you know, their friends are maybe not alive anymore. It's not as easy for them to get out anymore. So people realise that, you know, people who are volunteers, you know, see that in, I suppose we all see it in our own families to some extent. Uh, so I think they're just good people looking to give something back to society. They're a great bunch. They, they really are. They are. They're fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate them. And what happens, God forbid, Jackie, if somebody doesn't, a person doesn't answer the phone? Um, okay, so we kind of have a process in place for that, uh, Patricia. So um, I suppose, depending on the situation, we'll ring a family member. So when, when the first person first gets on to us, uh, we'll take details of secondary contacts, like a family member or a neighbour who is maybe close to them, um, that, that we could contact if there was an issue there and we couldn't get through to them. Uh, so that would be it. A volunteer would usually get back on to myself or Fiona here in the office and say, I couldn't get married today. And that's unusual. You know, sometimes mm. it isn't unusual to get someone. People are going out a little bit more now. So they might say, 
I'm not worried about that person. That's okay. But sometimes they're going on and say, I'm kind of worried I couldn't get through to her today and she always answers the phone. Uh, at that stage, then we would try ourselves again a little later. And if we couldn't get through then, the next step usually is to get on to that secondary contact and try and find out, uh, it, you know, is, is there everything okay? there? Can they call around? This kind of thing, you know. That must give um, great peace of mind to the user. Yeah. Because yes. that is a real fear for people who, particularly people who live on their own and who feel very isolated. And those, those very people that I referenced, the only human voice they hear is the person who makes the friendly call uh, to them. They have that fear of, oh, my God, if something happens, nobody will know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big fear with people that they'll end up sort of lying somewhere and, and no one uh, no one finding out about them. So I think that's what drives a lot of people who get on to it. And family who get on to us asking if we'll call a family member, you know. Um, people are very worried about that kind of thing. And, and what it ultimately doing is tackling isolation and loneliness. I mean, that's the key to it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the whole reason that it was set up is to tackle isolation and loneliness. And of course, we know now from various studies that are coming out that that has all sorts of positive impacts on people's physical health as well as their mental health. Um, you know, so it's 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 not just uh, mental sorts of depression or loneliness it's tackling, but sometimes it makes people even physically uh, feel better too. And we try and connect people into their community. Great. So we might say to people, are you getting meals and wheels or do you know this is going on down in the library or, you know, so if someone has the capacity to get out of the house um, that they may, you know, we may be able to kind of point them in the direction of a few other services uh, in their area that might offer them other supports as well. You yeah, know? gently encourage them to go back out there. Exactly, I mean, we have yeah. that big campaign that's been run by the government, is it? Hello World, yeah, yeah. which is so because unfortunately you mentioned COVID and how I can well see how a service like yours really kicked in and was a lifeline to so many people during COVID. But it's to now encourage people who had been very active before the pandemic to some have got into a rush almost and, and I know we dealt with it here on the programme a few weeks ago and some of our listeners said that they just have gotten into this habit of staying at home and it's to try to encourage them to go back out and reconnect. Yeah, absolutely, Patricia. That's that's what we're finding. People um, lose their confidence, you know, about going out and going into social situations or even just being out and about on their own. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're very much kind of trying to connect in with what the the chief medical officer was saying there about encouraging people maybe uh, to try and get out. Those that can, uh, you know, there's a huge cohort of our our clients now that would be housebound for various reasons uh, and that isn't an option for them. But those that can, we're trying to encourage. We're actually going to have a gathering for our clients down in City Hall next week. Uh, So that would be the first proper one since COVID. They used to do it quite regularly in the past. And people have been asking. So there is an appetite amongst people, even though they're nervous too, to get out. Uh, You know, clients have been asking us about, will there be things on? Do we know about things on? Um, So, you know, I think you you can sense that as well. 
And so for some of the uh, some of the users of the service, they'll get to meet the person who's been calling them face that's to face. It. Oh, they exactly. have to be great. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's always meant to be very fun. I've heard from when yeah. it happened in the past. People have perceptions of what people look like. Yeah. Uh, so it's always a bit of a, a bit of fun then when people actually meet up in person. That's great. But yeah, just be a chance to get together and have some tea and cakes and, and, and see one another. You know, the, the, the human touch like that is always so lovely. How does somebody contact your service, Jackie? Um, okay, so, I mean, they, they, they can contact us directly up here uh, in Churchfield. They can, they can ring the Cork City Partnership. I can give you the numbers. Please if you want do, to yeah. yeah. Uh, and also we have, we, we have a form on our website uh, as well um, that you can you can fill in and you can refer yourself. I mean, we get referrals from a lot of different sources, professional services, but people can ring up and refer themselves to uh, if they want to. They don't have to go through um, whatever the public health nurse. Um, so uh, our, our number there is 021-430-1700. Um, or I have a mobile there, 87 Okay, and as always with those numbers, we'll keep them on file. Yeah, uh, you if, can, if, you if, if if anybody is is looking for it. Yeah. and is there and a is, is there it. is there a particular area that you cover, or does it I matter? Mean, it's, it's it's city, it's it's Cork City, really. Yeah. Um, now that said, we have clients out in the in, in the county as well. Okay, uh, right. you know, so I mean, if someone gets onto us, obviously, and they really want to call, we're not going to say, "Oh, well, you're outside the area." Right area, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, uh, most of it is most of our clients are around the city area, um, but we have some in Nicholson, Carrickstool, and places like that. Okay, uh, but it well, but it know. but it really shows as well. And and I've spoken with Paddy O'Brien, uh, well-known advocate for older people on the program. You can live in the middle of a city in a very very built-up area, and you can still feel lonely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people end up lonely for all sorts of reasons. You see it with our clients. Their their family is in America and Australia or they didn't have children or all sorts of different reasons like that and they can't get out because they're in a wheelchair or, you know, it's, so it's, it's complicated and it could happen to any of us in the end of the day, uh, Patricia. So it's important that community comes together there uh, and supports one another. You know, we saw that, how important it was during COVID, but it's important to keep that up as well then. It's what makes strong communities. Yeah, and family dynamics, families fall out over the stupidest of reasons yeah, and, and exactly. lose contact. It's just yeah. dreadful, dreadful, but it happens in all families. Yeah, OK, absolutely. listen, it's a wonderful, wonderful service that you offer, uh, Jackie. Long may it uh, continue because unfortunately there will always be people that will need that uh, daily call. Absolutely. And pass on our best wishes to all of the volunteers who are doing yeah, incredible so work. If I could just quickly say thanks to all of those volunteers and we do have C and Tooth workers with us here as well. And of course, thanks to the Cork City Partnership. They're all, make, you know, they're all what makes this happen as well, you know. Okay. Well done. Well done. Thanks Super. for that, Jackie. Thanks, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Jackie Fitzgibbon, who is the coordinator with the Friendly Call Cork uh, Service. Wonderful organisation. Wonderful organisation just to for people to be to know that they're going to get a phone call every day from somebody nice and friendly and they can have a, a 
long chat, short chat, whatever they want uh, with that person, but just to know that there's somebody going to be checking in on them. And unfortunately, that's the reality for some people who find themselves uh, in, in a stage in their life where they just have nobody else uh, to call them. And, you know, and I think Jackie hit on as well. We never know when it could happen to one of us. So some reaction to Ellen, who I mentioned to contact us because she posted two letters last week, two days before St. Patrick's Day, 15th of March, popped two letters into the post to the same address. One arrived the following day, the 16th. Great service to Mom Post. No sign of the second one. She's wondering, has it happened to anybody else? Would anybody else have an explanation how two letters, two cards can be posted at the same time? One arrives and one doesn't. Well, Carmel and Bandon was on to us immediately. She said the very same thing happened to her just back in February of this year. Her two little nephews were having birthdays. They're twins. So she was sending one card to one twin and one card to the other twin. Post to them. Same time, same post box. Guess what? One arrived and the other didn't, which would be huge disappointment to the little twin who didn't get the card and thought Auntie Carmel hadn't remembered him. Barry in Carrick Tool says, I've been on to on post since January of this year. A parcel that they tell me was delivered to my house. I was doing some online shopping. It was a present for my sister. The package they claimed was delivered never arrived. Now, the time that on post say the package was delivered, uh, Barry says he was actually at home that day so it wasn't that he missed the delivery and he said nobody called to my door I was in all day we then checked around you know, the outside of the house we looked in the bins because often on post will do that no sign of the package on post customer service according to Barry were of no help he made three phone calls no sign of the parcel uh, since he got back onto the company where he ordered the parcel from they say it was dispatched they have the dispatch uh, details when he went online to the Unpost site there is a tracking number tracking number says it was delivered he never got his pa- package so he says good luck to Ellen trying to get the other card or letter that didn't turn up last week and Marie in Crosshaven was on to say she was organising a school play for Christmas. Now some of the items that they needed for the school play weren't available locally so they were forced to shop online. Packages never arrived and similar to what Barry is saying on post claim the packages were delivered but um, Marie says we never got the uh, packages. Carmel is in Myrtleville. Good afternoon to you Carmel. Good afternoon Patricia. Now this is your daughter sending you something for Mother's Day. She sent me a, a, a small parcel for Mother's Day with the Mother's Day card inside on the 1st of March. Okay. Now, she was officially disappointed and so was I. I didn't receive it. So then uh, the Thursday before St. Patrick's weekend, I got a card through the post to say that there was a duty of 1644 to be paid on the parcel before it would be delivered because they're not in the EU anymore. So, you know, they have yeah. to get paid tax. It's, and it's isn't it really annoying when it's a gift? Yes, yes, dreadful, dreadful. Yes. Yeah, my daughter was really upset about it. But anyway, that's not the point. What I'm really making is that uh, I went down on. I couldn't go down before that because I had a broken collarbone that was mending. I couldn't drive. So anyway, when I could drive uh, Monday week, I went down to the local post office and I paid the money. And I said to the lady behind the thing to say, I said, "Would it be up in Carrigaline now?" I said, "In the in the parcel office." Yeah. Oh no, she said. That'll be up in Dublin. So I said, oh, OK. So she said, once the money's paid now, they'll send it down to Dublin. So anyhow, I came home and I thought, I'll wait till Wednesday. When Wednesday came, no parcel. So I rang the office as I thought my parcel office in Carrigaline, but I was through to Dublin. And I spoke to this man and he said, um, 
have you got the tracking number? I said, I have. I gave it to him. And he said, um, oh, yeah. He said, would there be a cream in the parcel? I said, yes. He said, oh, it's here. But I said, boy, hasn't it been posted down to Carrigline? I don't know. He said, but it's here somewhere. We'll have to get it located. Oh. Now. So it's in a warehouse, obviously, somewhere. in, in yeah. Dublin, a sorting yeah. office. Yeah. Yeah. Buried somewhere. But but you have a tracking number, so, if the, it's, so they've put a tracking number on it. Yeah. Well, the tracking number obviously came up on his computer, but he couldn't say where it was. And he was able to tell you what was in it? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, because, of course, your daughter would have had to write on the outside. Yeah, but she did, but she also paid £8.95 sterling. <sighs> For the, for the little parcel. It's oh. only a bag, you know, the added... Yeah, envelope. yeah, yeah, yeah. It isn't a huge, big parcel. No, it's only tiny, yeah. So you've paid the 1644 and he yeah. still, they still can't tell you when you will get your package? No, no. That was it, end of story, yeah. And have you checked online with the tracking number to see where it is at the moment? I haven't done that now, but I went back up to my parcel office in Carrigaline on Friday mm. and I spoke to this nice man and he said... We have no control over anything like that. He said it's all dealt with in Dublin. Yeah, so anything that gets held up with a custom stays in yeah. Dublin until the yeah. duty is paid. And then, but you would imagine as soon as the duty is paid, it's then put into the container for delivery. Because it says on the letter here I've got, if it's not paid by the 6th of April, the parcel will go back. Oh God! But it is paid, and yeah. they know it's paid. Obviously, yeah. so so when you do get it, well, Mother's Day is long gone. It'll be nearly a month from. Yeah. It's coming up to a month. Yeah. Your daughter got in in plenty of time to make sure it would be there on time. She always posts very early, you know. So yeah, yeah and it's disa- yeah. it's disappointing when it's Mother's Day for her as well. It was disappointing for her, you know, and she was upset. But I, I said, well, don't worry, it'll come, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I said, when it does come, I'll put it on the mantelpiece for a week. <laughs> <laughs> come here, it's, is, is it nice cream for your face? Is it face it cream? Is, it is, yes, it Ooh, is. <laughs> I'd be putting it on quick before it goes off. <laughs> and come here, tell us, how is, how is the broken collarbone? Oh, I'm back driving, thank God. I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, it's your sho- it was your shoulder you broke? My collarbone, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, painful? Yeah, very painful. But, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm grand now. Great I'm stuff, grand. great stuff. And you'll have a beautiful face with the gorgeous <laughs> face cream. You'll be gorgeous for the summer. Will you let us know when it arrives? I will. So we can celebrate. Thanks, Carmel. Thanks for Thank your you call. For bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's just, yeah, it's very, very frustrating when somebody sends a present like that. I know I got caught, but it's my own absolute and utter stupidity. I sent a parse, uh, a, a, a very small jiffy bag to Australia for Christmas and I stupidly, very stupidly put Australian dollars uh, into it because I got sick to the teeth of sending packages to Australia that one never arrived, one ended up coming back to me and one ended up, uh, I'd sent it in plenty of time for Christmas and there was actually Christmas pyjamas inside the package and they got it in time for Easter and it was just, I I started getting very frustrated with it. So I decided uh, last year that I would send cash in the post and it arrived safely so I decided I'd follow it up last year the following year I'd do it again and it never arrived it, and, so, and it's gone and it's my own 
stupidity to send and, and I know sending cash in the post we're always advised not to do that and I'm not in any way saying that that was on post that could have gone missing anywhere between here and Australia but it's it's just so you feel so gutted for because it was little kids and I was looking forward to them getting their dollars and going off to the toy shop and buying themselves the gifts that they knew they got from Auntie Tricia and then the money never arrived so yeah but it's it's very it's it's when a gift is sent but like I really feel for Carmel she's had to pay the extra the duty on it which you've got to be so careful when you're sending anything now between the UK either over to the UK or back from the UK you can get caught for duty and also be very careful with the duty that you don't get caught out with a scam uh, text I mean as Carmel said I think it was a note was put through the door be very careful if you get a text message uh, saying that you're, you're owed duty from on post that that, that that more than likely is uh, a scam so you, you just have to be careful Hi Patricia I posted all my Christmas cards on the 8th of December I sent them from the same box in Cullen one didn't arrive in Newmarket <laughs> mid-January Marie you'd have been better off hand delivering it and saving the cost of the stamp yourself thanks for your text to 0862103103 I can see questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming in please and there was a text in with regard to the Kerry babies that I want to get. Oh, this is from uh, Jimmy in Bantry. So, Patricia, I wonder uh, will Detective Guard uh, Jerry Carroll and his the other guardy be looking for more kudos for a job well done and the anguish, hurt and shame that they inflicted on the Hayes family. The wheel of life is always turning and that wheel only goes one way. Uh, thanking you. Well, it's interesting that you mention Detective Garda Jerry Carroll because I saw yesterday he gave an interview. It was in the Irish Mirror because I think he's the only one of the guardy. Certainly he's the only one I think, of the guardy who personally interviewed, some would say interrogated Joanne Hayes. I think he's the only one still uh, alive. But I was reading in the mirror that he has called for, he was, he says that he was, 20 years ago he called for baby John's body to be exhumed and he now wants a full uh, public inquiry. He says he has always vehemently denied any allegations of wrongdoing. He says he wants his name cleared. He wants a full public inquiry. He said, I want to put this to bed forever before I pass on to the next world. He said, I will, I will not have that hanging over my head and my reputation. He said, I was a good detective for 24 years and was involved in over 100 murder cases. Never once was I condemned by a court or castigated or criticised. He said, I felt that this was a huge blemish on my career, a huge one. I want to clear my name once and uh, for all. And of course, he was part of the Garda murder squad that arrested Joanne Hayes. Uh, And that was after a list of pregnant women who had either left the country or had not appeared to have a newborn infant were all drawn up and were all um, in many of them were interrogated until finally they decided to point the finger at poor old Joanne um, and then she of course went on to wrongly be accused of being baby John's uh, mother anyway uh, Detective uh, O'Carroll denied any wrongdoing he said now this is a quote from him I treated Joanne with the utmost courtesy as I would have my own daughter the tribunal had come up with the same conclusion he said I am not only singling myself out I'm one of the last surviving members of the murder squad that was involved in that I'm just stating that and he says justice for baby John was utmost in his mind and he hoped whoever killed the infant would be brought to uh, um, account he said he will never forget that 
little baby. And he says the forensic tools were primitive in 1984. The DNA has changed since. And even though the baby wasn't exhumed until 2021, he said he'd been calling for it for the last uh, 20 uh, years. And uh, he's hopeful that that everyone will see closure and justice for the uh, baby. And so he says he's never forgotten the case. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Donnerail Active Retirement, they have their next meeting this afternoon at three. All are welcome. Marie Nolan, who's coordinator for Healthy Age Friendly Homes Programme, will attend, giving advice on services that are available to the over 65 age group. The Patrician Academy players are presenting Philadelphia Here I Come at the Emelian Theatre in Mallow. Opens tomorrow, Tuesday and it's on again on Wednesday and Thursday, 8 o'clock each night. Tickets available from the Academy School Office are recording 022 21884. And the Mallow Community Health Project, they've collaborated with Mallow Heritage Society to organise a heritage walk through Mallow Town tomorrow, Tuesday. The meeting is at Mallow Castle Gates at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. The walk will finish at about 12.15 at the Mercy Centre where you're invited in for a cuppa and a chat. The facilitator will be Charles Mortel and you can register to take part by contacting Pauline at 87 433 And Bohabui Comprehensive School are presenting Annie, the TY show. It's in Whelan Community Hall Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Doors open at half seven. Show starts at eight. Tickets 10 euro. Available by calling 029-76032. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie today on C103. And thanks to Aidan Douglas. He was on to us earlier about the new bypass in McCroom, which he says at the very outset is absolutely uh, fantastic. Now, Aidan in Douglas said they travel to Killarney uh, quite a lot, so they'll be using the McCroom bypass now uh, and it will shorten their journey. But he said the tradition that they always have in their family when they're travelling to Killarney from the city, they always stop at a garage in uh, McCroom. And he said prior to the bypass opening, he said you'd be hard pushed to even get room to park a car it was always so busy there was always uh, queues and he said certainly in November he was travelling back to Killarney when the bypass wasn't opening he said it was exactly like that but last weekend was his first time going back to Killarney and using the bypass but they decided again they'd stick with tradition and they'd stop off in McCroom at the garage he couldn't get over how quiet it was he said there was only one staff member working there was plenty of uh, parking and he says while other shops appeared to uh, be busy locally around the town. He said he felt really sorry for the people in this particular uh, shop because it's so quiet. He said, while the bypass is welcome, it's fantastic. He's wondering, have some businesses suffered uh, because of it? And I suppose it's something that happens with all towns when they're bypassed. You will get some businesses that will hugely benefit from having a, a proper flow of traffic f- through the town. But there will always be a 
cohort of businesses who would who would have depended on having a lot of traffic going through. A garage is an obvious one, I suppose, if people wanted to stop off and get uh, petrol and, the, and they were stuck in traffic and would see the garage and might decide that they would go in. But certainly overall for towns, businesses, the general consensus has been when a town is bypassed, it is good for business because it means people locally who want to go and do their shopping previous, they might have said, oh, we'll avoid McCroom completely because you couldn't get parking or you'd be stuck in traffic all day. Whereas those people have a tendency they would have come back. Um, so so overall, I'm assuming that the town has benefited, but yeah, there will be uh, some. And yeah, and if you were a regular in there, well done for going back in there uh, as well and keep up that tradition. Uh, 0818103103. After getting a, a string of texts in now from people getting scams when we were talking about on post, because we know there is an on post scam always doing the rounds. But here's a new one from Michael that I haven't seen before. Let us alert other people to it. And it, uh, Michael says, I got this on Friday. I assumed immediately it was a scam, so deleted it. But please alert others. This one is, says ESB. And straight away, you know, a scam because it, it would be ESB Networks if it was the ESB Networks. Uh, Electric Ireland now is the residential arm of the ESB. Anyway, it says ESB, you are eligible for a discounted electricity bill under the energy support scheme. You can apply here and then you have to click on a link that says registerelectricrefund.com. And of course, it is a great bit scam. But I've that's the first time I've been sent in a copy of that. So keep a lookout for that. And again, God, these scam artists just irk me so much. They know that everyone is struggling with electricity bills. They know that people are finding it very difficult to pay their electricity bills. And also by saying ESB, electric, it would be Electric Ireland, it wouldn't be ESB. Electric Ireland have the biggest number of customers. I think they've got 1.1 million. I know there's other utility providers, but they know the chances are that the, when they send out these texts and of course they'll send out tens of thousands of these uh, texts the chances are a lot of people will be with Electric Ireland and we all kind of refer to Electric Ireland we still all say the ESB the amount of people that will send in text here will say my ESB bill rather than my electric bill and we all have a tendency to use the ESB to describe our electricity bill but yeah 100% it is a scam but thank you for letting us know about it so that we can warn others Hi this is from Bernie in Balanine so I got one of those uh, texts looking for €1.90 from Unpost. I knew immediately it was a scam. I text them back to say you can send the package back I'm not giving you the one euro 90 and then uh, used a curse word to tell them where to go haven't heard from them since <laughs> Bernie in Balanine thank you for that Bernie and Sheila says Trisha I got one of those texts from eFlow looking for motorway charges that I'd forgotten to pay well says Sheila I haven't driven on a motorway in nearly 10 years I felt like texting back poke Mahone <laughs> but that would only have given them a chance uh, to cause me even more trouble. So I just deleted it uh, immediately. That's a famous one that's doing the rounds. And actually, Sheila, we heard from uh, some people in the last few weeks because that's a new one. The eFlow one was kind of one of the new ones that started, I think, at the start of the year. We heard from some people who were getting suspicious. Are there, are, is there somebody tracking their phones? Because we heard from people who had been on motorways, hadn't been on it in a while had either paid their motor tax or somebody was in a car that they weren't driving themselves, but their mobile 
they felt would have pinged as they went through and they the following week got one of them no I think it was probably just a coincidence but people are getting so nervous now about all of these scams and are people watching you and what, what is going on at the moment and thank you thank you for your text by the way and thank you to Mike who when I referenced that the French are protesting at the moment I referenced this during I think it was one of my interviews with um, David Stanton uh, Mike says the French are correct to be protesting with their government their government are increasing their pension age however we here in uh, Ireland we just seem to lie down to our government uh, tapering tampering with our pension age their proposal is that we wait until 70 and by doing that that's an option if you decide to work on until 70 you'll get 25% extra in your pension to me says Mike that's pure nonsense I feel this will be a major issue with the next election everybody should be entitled to the same pension at the same age of uh, 66 but you see we have a problem here and it's not just in this country it's the reason that the government have to up the pension age in France we have ageing populations and it's great that we're all living longer and it's fantastic that we have an older population. But the problem is that as we continue to get older, we will have less and less people working to pay for all of the pensions and we will get to the stage and that's what's happening in France. They, they're all ageing longer and because they have a lower pension age than we have, they don't have enough workers. The workers, it's the way the pension operates when we're, when we're all working. We are working, paying in to the pension pot which then goes on to pay the pensioners while we're at work and the day will come that we will retire and there'll be workers coming up along. They'll pay into the pot so we'll have our pensions but what if we don't have enough workers coming up? There's not going to be enough money in the well to pay everybody. So while none of us like the idea of a government tampering with the pension age or tampering with our pension pot, I unfortunately can understand why they need to do it. We all the time need more workers. It's one of the reasons when people complain about um, workers coming from outside Ireland into this country, we need them as well because when they come into this country to work, they pay into that pension pot, which at the moment is paying our pensioners and will pay us into the future. So it's the the government are damned if they do and damned uh, if they don't. But thank you for your text, uh, Mike. But I tell you, a bigger problem that we could have in some of our schools is making a lot of the papers uh, today with schools across the country are warning the Department of Education that many of them are at are near capacity. Now, this obviously is tied in with efforts to accommodate the children who have fleen, who have fled the war-torn Ukraine in recent months. And it's a piece that's making the examiner today and they had documents released to them, which is kind of just showing a snapshot of issues faced by schools, including concerns over capacity, communication and support. Some schools, for example, are reporting emerging problems, including trauma-related issues. Other children are arriving with undiagnosed additional needs. There's behaviour issues and obviously there's communication uh, difficulties. Now, the most recent data that you get from the CSO shows more than 74,000 Ukrainians have arrived in Ireland and that was by the middle of last month. But the breakdown of that is how many of them are children and how many are children of school going age. The Department of Education confirmed that just under 15,000 Ukrainian pupils have been enrolled in our schools. The breakdown is 9,650 are in primary school and 5,281 are in secondary school. Now, a lack of school places in parts of the country has been an issue for years. And this was 
way before the arrival of Ukrainian uh, refugees. For example, if you look back to 2019, Dar O'Brien, who was just a TD at the time, told the Dáil that parts of Dublin were a crisis uh, point. We all know there's been an issue going on in East Cork and that's to do with the population in the area uh, increasing. So the records that have been released under the Freedom of Information relate to us here in Cork, our neighbours in Kerry and in Limerick, Clare and in Dublin. And those five counties alone have welcomed more than 40% of all of the Ukrainian students. By mid-February, All of the schools in Kerry were at full capacity with only the odd space opened if somebody moved into the area. While in Dublin, agencies working in the inner city reported that schools were completely full to the point where trying to even squeeze in one extra pupil would not be in the interest of either the pupil or the rest of the class. And then when we look at us here in Cork, the regional teams noticed that they're getting a lot of queries about the psychological trauma which is experienced by the Ukrainian students and that the schools themselves had little or no support. One Cork principal, now they're not identified, but one Cork principal at a meeting with the Department of Education official in September reported feeling the situation is now at a knife edge. He was concerned that the local community would turn if local parents perceived a distinction between the communities and he believed that the Ukrainian curriculum was posing some difficulties. And the documents described trauma faced by students at having to move with very little notice. Ukrainian students faced social difficulties uh, with access to doctors and dentists not always being provided. And Department of Education said the documents represented a snapshot in time. And this is only on five counties. I'm assuming this is replicated across the rest of the country. And the purpose of the structures put in place in education sector was to respond to the arrival of the thousands of additional students in Ukraine and to ensure that any emerging issues would be rapidly uh, dealt uh, with. Now, seemingly the National Education Psychology Service, their psychologist NEPS, they're engaging with principals to try to provide advice and support and they say they have deployed training to uh, staff and the department say while pressure still remain, the the department with the, the regional education and language teams along with other stakeholders are trying to provide support to the school communities and to children and to young people and to their families who are arriving from Ukraine into our schools. But that snapshot uh, is really is creating worry, particularly if our schools, many of them saying they were already full. I mean, to hear a school say we couldn't even take one extra pupil, that it wouldn't be in the interest of the pupil are in uh, the class. So certainly the Department of Education will have a lot of worries if that is replicated. It's only a snapshot of five uh, counties where 40% of the Ukrainian pupils are. So 60% are in other counties around the country. Are they facing similar difficulties? 0818 103 103. Just a quick one I see coming in. Um, post on the 12th of December 2021. So that's over a year ago. My brother-in-law posted a Christmas card in Dublin. It arrived in Cork in mid-April of 2022. So it arrived in time for Easter. So your brother didn't have to worry about sending an Easter card. You could just use the Christmas card instead. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Get your texts in for Annalise. She's up next. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
And we're heading to Times Square, Balancholic to the Health Hub, where Annalise Drussell joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight into the uh, questions. Hi, uh, Patricia, question please for Annalise. Could Annalise recommend something for ulcerated colitis? I'm suffering a really bad flare up at the moment, which is causing a lot of pain. Thanking you. So ulcerative colitis is an autoimmune condition, Patricia, where the uh, immune system has actually attacked the um, the small and can be the small and the large intestine. It can go all the way up, um, and it causes ulceration, huge amount of inflammation and ulceration. So when you're in a flare-up, you'd be in terrible pain. So the natural treatment, really, Patricia, is to kind of work with the autoimmune condition. Um, so. No, what I would find mostly with my clients who come to me with any either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, but also other autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, the gut is always involved. Food intolerances are very, very common. So for long-term management, it's really important to kind of rule out what foods are causing an immune response and eliminate those from your diet as much as possible. And then we work on doing gut healing. So gut healing would be applicable in this case here for sure. Um, L-glutamine is a lovely uh, one for gut healing. And of course, you need the good probiotics as well. Um, marshmallow extract is very healing for the lining of the, um, the, the, uh, the, for the epithelial cells that line the intestine. Very good for that and very soothing. Slippery elm is another fantastic one too. And something called gamma arisinol. Now, they all sound like, um, you know, foreign language, Patricia. Yeah. So I think if you go into a health store, most products will have a combination of those. So what you're really looking for is a gut healing supplement. And the ones I could highly recommend, um, Nature's Plus, they do one called um, GI Natra, N-A-T-R-A, Wellness. And that is a total combo product for gut healing. And even better, if you could get your hands on it, is the Nutri Advanced, and it's called Nutri Flux. And that, again, is another lovely combo product. Um, there is also, Patricia, a lot of research that shows people who've got all sorts of colitis have got a higher amount of Yersinia bacteria in the gut. It's a particular strain of bacteria that is in all of our guts, but really high number for these people. So it might be worth having a stool test done to see what are the population of the beneficial and the non-beneficial bacteria in there and address that. And the final thing I would add in is not a nice natural anti-inflammatory. And in the case of ulcerative colitis, Quest actually do a probiotic product that has got turmeric extract that will make it down as far as the lower gut. Um, so I think it's, um, it's called uh, Tumbiotics Gold, I think it's called, but it's uh, yes, Tumbiotics Gold, that's exactly the one that it is. And you could also take um, the Nutri Advance to a very, very powerful natural anti-inflammatory called Curcudine Forte. Okay, it sounds really painful, is it? It's very painful. And Crohn's as well, Patricia, they yeah. can severely affect people's life. Like a lot of people just wouldn't be able to work um, at all, you know. But if you can get it into remission, you, you can keep it in remission with like a very healthy lifestyle. And I have lots of customers that have um, and clients that have done that. Now it takes a good bit of work, so I would definitely recommend seeing a practitioner, a nutritional therapist, or another practitioner that can guide you through all this. Stuff. Yeah, and and I'm wondering, is it similar advice to somebody who says, "Hi, Annalise, I've got gastritis. I can actually taste the acid in my mouth. Uh, plus, I can get very bad stomach uh, pain, and when I sit down, I can feel the pain in my stomach much more." So I think similar, but not actually the same, Patricia, because. This is probably uh, something else that's going on here. So 
the first thing is um, that there's probably a little bit of a weakness in the valve that connects the stomach up to the throat. That, that it's called the, py- the pyloric, uh, sorry, the esophageal sphincter muscle. So if that's weak, acid can escape up and it can give you terrible heartburn. Um, also, if the stomach lining is exposed at all, the acid that is released when you eat will irritate it hugely. And over time, that can actually cause ulceration, but it definitely can cause discomfort. So in this case, it's not an autoimmune really here. I think there's probably something that's caused this inflammation in the first place. Um, It can be a number of different things. The first thing is a bacteria can actually cause it called Helicobacter pylori that lives in the stomach. So if you've had a gastroscopy, generally they'll check to see if you've got that bacteria living there and they'll treat it with something called triple antibiotic therapy. That's one cause. Second cause, smoking. Very bad, weakens the little valve and irritates the stomach. Overuse of caffeine and alcohol, very high fat diet are food intolerances. So they would be at the root of the problem. So identifying those would be important. So what I'd recommend for this person, now the GI Nutra product as a, as a full um, um, healing uh, product would work as well. That's by Nature's Plus. But particularly, I think for this per- person, I would recommend Slippery Am taken before eating to coat the stomach and protect the lining from the acid. And also something called Zinc Carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. And that helps tighten up that little valve, but it also nourishes the mucus-producing cells so they'll produce a nice big thick layer of mucus that protects the stomach and keeps it healthy. And then if you're struggling to digest a good digestive enzyme, I can highly recommend either the Udo's or the Terra Nova do a lovely one. And they do that with and without probiotics. Um, and take the three of those for a couple of months and hopefully that clear up your problem. But if it doesn't, you need to investigate why it's reoccurring. OK, I might try and put the two of these uh, together. We had an email in from a listener who is uh, getting chemotherapy at the moment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and wants to know is there anything she can take to boost her immune system. And then another listener was on to say, could you ask Annalise, please? My sister is going for a double breast removal due to cancer. It's second time around. Bless her heart. Is there anything she can take before surgery to boost her immune system? So I don't know if they're both... The same answer? Well, I think they're different, I suppose, Patricia, in that when you're taking chemotherapy, you have to be quite careful about what you can take because chemotherapy needs to be very toxic. And if you take natural supplements that make it less less toxic, it mightn't be as effective. So in terms of boosting the immune system, I do know that probably uh, vitamin D would be appropriate. I do think that a lot of doctors would say don't take vitamin C because it is a natural detoxifier. There is that this this answer would apply to both. Um, there is a product by a company that are a Spanish company. They do mushrooms, Patricia. And they've started very much focusing in on the use of mycotherapy, which is mushrooms, for, key, for use during people getting treatment for, key, for cancer and for chemotherapy and for radiotherapy. And I've actually had, I've used those products myself for a couple of my clients. And they've had chemotherapy without, some of them, you know, kept their hair but their energy stayed up, their appetite stayed up. They didn't get sick, so they didn't have to stop doing chemo. Now, they're expensive. They're extremely expensive. Um, but the company is called HIFAS, H-I-F-A-S, Terra, D-E-T-E-R-R-A. And it is their range of mushrooms. So if you go online and Google them, you'll find them. Um, but you, and, and you, you can set up an account and you can order them online. Or people can talk to me here in the shop and I'm very happy to order it for them. Okay. So that, that would be very safe for both people. And then prior to surgery, you're a little bit safer. You could take an immune-boosting supplement and you need something um, 
like uh, like the Nature's Plus do a lovely immune support. One that has got everything in there, including beta glucans, vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D. They're all suitable before surgery because you're not worried about the chemo drug itself. Mm, OK, and we wish both uh, the best of luck in in their treatment. OK, hi, um, Annalise. I was told by my doctor to take kelp. It's for low thyroid levels. Since I started taking kelp, I can't tolerate some medicines, for example, antibiotics and even Panadol. Is it safe to take kelp while taking an antibiotic? I actually don't know the answer to that question, Patricia. I would say that it should be because kelp is basically a food, but I don't know what it's doing to this person in terms of changing their metabolism. So the reason I would say to take kelp is because kelp as seaweed is a lovely balanced form of things that the thyroid gland needs to make thyroid hormone, which is iodine and selenium, magnesium. They're all in the right kind of balance there to support a healthy thyroid. So... um, Obviously, it's doing something for this person that makes them unable to tolerate certain drugs. I haven't heard of it before. I would say it's safe with an antibiotic because people eat seaweed all the time Mm. in Japan and it doesn't affect their ability to take medication. But clearly, this person is a different. Some people are very sensitive. So maybe just if you're on an antibiotic, maybe leave it off those days. Hi, Annalise. I'm 65. What can I take for mental sharpness and memory? That's from Pat. Okay, so there's a few different ones that are always good for the brain. And of course, the first one is, like the old grandmothers would have said, fish for the brain. The fish oils are wonderful. What you're looking for is you don't need the omega-3, 6 and 9. I think just omega-3 is plenty. But you're looking for one that's high in DHA. So there's two types of omega-3 fish fish, uh, oil. One is EPA, which is more anti-inflammatory, icosapentaenoic acid. The other one, DHA, which is dehexacosapentaenoic pentadoic acid is is much better for the brain for keeping tissue nice and moist so it's very good for dry eye um but like if you get a, a fish oil they'll both be in it but look for one that's higher in dha and that's a great one for lots of reasons it definitely they think it can help prevent the um formation of the amyloid plaque that's common for alzheimer's it definitely helps with m- retention of memory there's another lovely one that if you happen to go on holidays to spain that you could get over in Spain or Germany or any place, and it's called ginkgo biloba, and that one has been used for over 2,000 years, Patricia, by the Chinese for their brains and for memory. We can't buy it over the counter here in Ireland because it can have the effect of blood thinning. They're very strict about, like the medicines board, about what we can sell in Ireland. So it's very, very safe, but it's just that for some people, if they're on a blood thinner, it might also thin the blood. So if you're away on holidays, if someone's away on holidays, get that one. We actually do have it in the shop here as a tea, but it wouldn't be as strong as, as taking the supplement. That's another lovely one. Um, now, then there's a couple of different combo products that work very well. So Revive Active, they do a great one called Mastermind. And actually, I've tried that one myself, Patricia, and um, I took it a couple of years ago when I just found, was finding it very hard to sit and focus. And I definitely found it helped me with focus. Um, so that's a great one for all the students coming up to their exams as well. And then, of course, there's a, a Viridian, always oh, a lovely company. They do great products and they do um, a cognitive complex, which is very nice as well. Turmeric, just as a natural anti-inflammatory, it's great for preventing degeneration of the brain as well. Um, and also following a very, very low sugar diet is probably the best thing you can do for your brain in the long term. Okay, hi, Annalise. What could you recommend for me, please? When I bend over, there's a smell in my nose, but I only notice it, I notice it more when I bend over. 
something going on with the sinuses, is it? It could be, Patricia, or my, maybe not. Maybe it's actually coming from the stomach because if you're bending over and if you're pushing up that stomach acid, you might get that. Like it's a, t- a question I would ask for, um, in the clinics is, do you wake up in the morning with a bad taste in your mouth or a sore throat? And that's because acid is coming up at night. When you bend down, maybe it's pushing the acid because it's only when he's bending over. So if it was sinus, it would be all the time, I think. So maybe it could be that, in which case you need to work on the stomach, take the zinc carnison to tighten up that little valve and maybe take a probiotic. But interestingly, Patricia, the, um, some people since they've had COVID or since they've had the um, COVID vaccine have had difficulty with smell. And for, for I have had one customer, this lovely young girl who had a problem with everything she smells, t- smells terrible. And so it's affected her appetite. And that's since COVID. It's done something with her ability to, um, to, to taste and smell. And I do think it's linked in with the stomach. So um, treat the stomach first. And if that doesn't do the job, then maybe something like a sinus rinse with saline liquid will just clear out the sinuses in case there's any bacteria there causing it. That I've heard of more people who lost their sense of uh, taste and uh, smell from people that you're interacting with. Does it come back for a lot of people? For most people, it does, Patricia, but it can take a very long time. Um, and actually, I've, I've been doing when I've been doing I've been doing an awful lot of kind of trying to educate myself around long COVID because we don't understand it. It's very difficult to get a handle on. And one of the ones the therapies around smell is actually smell retraining. So they use essential oils to retrain the brain because it's like the signals to the brain have been mixed up. Um, so if you've got kind of essential oils at home, even if you can't smell them, sit down and sniff them in every day and that is part of the kind of the retraining of the brain to recognise strong smells again. Because we use our sense of smell even with eating, don't we? With Oh, absolutely. And anyone who's a cold would know that if the nose is blocked, you can't taste your food. Um, um, so they're, they're supremely linked. Um, and certainly for people who've, um, who've lost their sense of taste, the enjoyment around food is gone, which is such a, is, which is such a loss, really, because it's so lovely to sit down and actually actively enjoy your food. It's tied in with weight loss then, of course, as well. People find it hard to eat. So um, I would recommend for anybody that has got the long-term um, smell issue from COVID, definitely take a zinc, because zinc is very much tied in with the sense of taste and smell. And zinc is a huge one for the immune system. And people who take zinc when they're sick recover much quicker than people who don't. So take zinc. Okay, listen, pleasure as always. Thanks for that, Annalise. We'll talk next Monday. Bye-bye. Annalise Russell, healthhubstore.com. She'll put up as heard on the radio later on this afternoon. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. It's the Armitage Messenger. Good afternoon. On C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.